Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 587. And he says that basic idea, intention, awareness, motivation for the mitzvah has to be a sense of Hashem's a presence, a, sh- a sense of Hashem being our king and we accepting upon ourselves Hashem is our king and that has to be the motivation behind the mitzvah in general we're doing the mitzvah in order to nullify our ego before Hashem even if you're aware of this and you're thinking of this and that's your motivation and that's your intention even though you don't feel it and you don't mean it you don't feel anything you're just thinking about it even thinking about it is already enough. That's all Hashem asks of you. Hashem doesn't ask of us the impossible. To say that we sense Hashem's presence, that it's palpable, that it's tangible for us, as if the king is standing in our presence. Yes, it says in the Code of Jewish Law that in the morning when you wake up, you have to imagine every Jew. The Code of Jewish Law was written to every Jew, not just to the saints and the mystics, and the holy ones, and the scholars, to all of us. When you wake up in the morning, you have to have in mind that Hashem is standing over your bed. Now, if the king, or the king of kings, was standing over your bed, if Einstein was standing, you woke up in the morning, you had Einstein was standing in your bed, Ellie Wiesel was standing to your bed, a celebrity, someone, a big person you respected was standing over your bed, you would jump out of bed. How much more so when the king of kings is standing over your bed? But how many of us really feel Hashem's presence? If a human being was standing in front of our beds, yes, we would jump out of bed. Let's be honest. Do we really feel that presence? Is it palpable for us? Is it tangible? No. But nevertheless, the code of Jewish law says that we're obligated to think and to try to picture, imagine, imagine how you would feel if you were able to experience the reality. The reality is whether you feel it or not, whether you experience it or not, that Hashem is standing over your bed, God is standing over your bed, and looking into your eyes and looking into your heart. If I don't feel it, it doesn't change the facts. Maybe it bothers me that I don't feel it. But the fact is I don't feel it. But I'm aware of it. And that's enough. It's enough to be aware of it. That's all the Torah asks of us. Torah is speaking to real people. We're not such saints. We're not, such, we're not so spiritually tuned in. Let's be honest. Maybe there are certain mornings when you wake up and you do feel Hashem's presence. Maybe. Yom Kippur. On a holiday, on Pesach. After the Seder night, maybe the next morning you wake up, you feel godly, you feel godliness. But let's face it, on a Tuesday morning and a Wednesday morning, that's... It's not exactly a living, breathing reality for you. And nevertheless, the Torah says you're obligated to think about it. 
That's all Hashem asks of us. It's enough. That's what he's going to say now. Even if your heart is not trembling and you're not, and you feel like turning over on the other side. Nevertheless, just being aware of it. And acknowledging the truth. Just acknowledging this truth. That the reality is Hashem is standing here and Hashem is standing over me. And Hashem cares about me. And if not me, Hashem is not king. And I am like Adam. Every one of us is like Adam. Why did God create Adam one single? Because every one of us is like Adam. Just like Adam. He was the only subject. Without Adam, God wasn't king. Which is why Adam's sin had such consequences. Such global consequences. Universal consequences. Cosmic consequences. Because since Adam did not accept Hashem's kingdom, he violated Hashem's wish, Hashem's commandment. Hashem is not a king. I mean, if my subject doesn't listen to me, then he's not a king. When Hashem isn't king, the whole universe was degraded. The whole universe almost collapsed. Every human being has to view himself like Adam. There's no one else, just me and Hashem. Because if I don't think every one of us is a cosmos, is a a microcosm of the entire universe. If I don't accept Hashem in my personal life, in my individual life, if I roll over on the other side of my bed, and instead of jumping out of bed and ready to serve Hashem, like a loyal soldier and loyal servant, Hashem is standing right next to me, expecting, expecting and looking forward to my service. And if I reject and I dismiss and I just ignore and go back to sleep, literally and figuratively, go back into a spiritual sleep, then Hashem is not king. It affects the whole universe. If you, really, if you really acknowledge that truth, even if you don't feel it experientially, it doesn't change the fact. The fact is, that is the truth. That our awareness and our acceptance of this fact literally changes and makes all the difference in the world. And that's how I fulfill the mitzvah of serving Hashem. That's all Hashem asks us. It's not asking the impossible. Torah wasn't given to angels. This is a realistic program for real people in the real world, every day of our lives. And if he expects it of us and he demands it of us, that means that we're capable of doing it because thinking about it and just being aware of it and acknowledging that truth, as we say, Modani, you wake up in the morning, I thank you, Hashem. I acknowledge. I accept. That acceptance, that's the keyhole. That's the doorway. That opens up. That's the gateway to everything else. That's the foundation. That's the cornerstone. Just that acceptance. That humility of accepting this fact, accepting this truth, and acting accordingly. That's how you fulfill the mitzvah of serving Hashem. Which is a separate mitzvah from loving Hashem and being in awe of Hashem, feeling spiritual and becoming spiritual and becoming loving and becoming uh, you know, imbued with a sense of awe. Just the mitzvah of serving Hashem, of being a servant Hashem, a faithful servant Hashem. That's how you fulfill this mitzvah. Okay, the third paragraph on page 587. In such a case, having contemplated this matter, then even though after all this meditation no dread or fear descends upon him in a manifest manner in his heart, nevertheless, since he accepts the kingdom of heaven upon himself and draws upon himself the fear of him in his conscious thought and rational politician, and this submission to Hashem and this fear of him is beyond doubt a sincere one, for it is the nature of all Jewish souls not to rebel against the blessed holy king. So even though you don't feel it consciously, uh, experientially, 
But just the fact that you acknowledge it and you accept it, even in your thought, just in your thought. But this acceptance is genuine. Why is it genuine if you don't feel it? Am I faking it? Am I pretending? I don't feel anything. I don't feel Hashem's presence. I can't visualize Hashem's presence. It's not a living, breathing reality to me, just like physical presence is. Are we aware that we're not feeling it? Uh, of course we're aware. Okay, so then why don't we discipline ourselves to feel it? In other words, isn't that the whole idea, to conquer uh, the Yetzirah and discipline ourselves it's to not feel a, it? It's not a question of Yetzirah. It's not I'm doing anything wrong. It's just I'm not capable of feeling it. I'm a, earth, I'm a fleshy, earthy human being. I don't feel godly things. I just, I can know it, and I acknowledge it, and I know it's the truth whether I feel it or not, but you can't pretend to feel something that you don't, because it's almost subconscious. We're not in control of our subconscious. Don't forget, we learned earlier in the Tanya, um, we're only in control of our conscious, we're in control of our thoughts, our speech, our action, our behavior, but you're not in control of your subconscious. You can't change, transform your, your, your ego, your personality, your character. My ego doesn't feel godly things. It doesn't respond to godly things. My godly soul does, but I don't feel my godly soul. But it's enough to acknowledge that this is my truth. And that's fine. That is it. That's why it's genuine. That's why it's okay. Because you're not faking it. You're not pretending. When you acknowledge this truth and you live accordingly, you are being genuine. You're not, being, you're not faking it. You're not living an artificial life. On the contrary. You are being consistent and true with your inner core, your inner essence, your inner nature, which is your godly soul, even though you can't access it, because we can't access our subconscious. So I can't feel it, I can't experience it. That's why the Torah says a Jew should live a consistent life, a disciplined life, as he was saying, a disciplined life. Discipline means I can discipline my behavior, even though I don't feel it experientially. And it's not, you're not faking it, but I have to be true to myself. Let me be a genuine bum. I should be true to myself. True to my feelings, true to my urges, true to my instincts. I should follow every whim and every desire. That's what that's psychology 101. That's what society teaches us today. And Torah says no. That would be faking it. When you follow the truth, when you follow the reality, the reality is that Hashem is standing over you. The reality is that the whole universe is rests on your shoulders. If you accept Hashem as your king, Hashem is king. And if not, it's like Adam in the Garden of Eden... If you don't accept God as the king, you affect the whole micro, you affect the whole macrocosm, you affect the entire universe. It's affected by your decision, by your conscious decision. Are you going to let God into your life? Or you're not going to let God into your life. Do you acknowledge the truth of God? Is God a king or he's not a king? Am I a servant? I'm not a servant. And the whole world depends on that answer. And God himself is waiting with bated breath, so to speak, standing right in front of you, looking into your heart, into your eyes, and begging and pleading with you, please. Make the right decision because without you, I'm not a king and I can't force myself upon you and I can't impose myself upon you. I need it. It should be voluntarily. You should want to. I'm not a dictator. I, want, I need you to be a king. I need you to willingly accept me as your king, as your sovereign and bend your ego for me. If I ask you to do something, you listen. The whole universe depends. Hashem himself depends on that answer and your answer and your decision. That's the fact. Whether I feel it, I don't feel it. I feel like it, I don't feel like it. I'm up to it, I'm not up to it. I'm in the mood, I'm not in the mood. Judaism doesn't change with moods. This is our rock of Gibraltar. This respect, this 
accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven, this is the rock of Gibraltar, this is the cornerstone, the foundation, this is unbudgeable. This doesn't, it's not, it doesn't change with moods, with ups and downs. All the changes that we go through, this always remains. This truth always remains. God is my king, just like a soldier. A soldier is not subject to moods. Well, if I feel like it, I'll serve. And if I don't feel like it, I'm not going to serve. It doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> we have a few, a few uh, soldiers here, former soldiers. A soldier, you serve 24-7. A Jew is a soldier. You're ready to bend your ego. It's not subjective. It's not limited to my subjective whims and moods and ups and downs. It's based on truth and facts. That's what he's saying. The truth is, it is the truth. It is your truth. It's consistent with your truest truth, with your genuine nature, with your core nature, which is your godly soul. Even though you can't access it, and even though you don't feel it, and even though you can't experience it, it doesn't change the reality. So, but just knowing that this is my truth, as a Jew, this is my truth. And deep down, this is what I want to do. Whether I feel like it or not, deep down, this is my truth. And it's my true nature. See, even though I don't feel it, I'm going to live my life accordingly. And that's closer to the truth. Because most of the time, we're not, we're not always tuned in to that frequency of godliness. The tzaddik is always tuned in to the frequency of godliness. We all have potential, but you have to be tuned in. We're tuned in to other stations. <laughs> a lot of mishagas, a lot of this. We're not tuned in to to godliness occasionally we are occasionally on a holiday suddenly we are able to sense those frequencies we're able to hear we're able to tune in but most of the time on a regular Wednesday afternoon we're not always tuned in with God but I can always live a godly life I don't have to be tuned in that's not a precondition everyone in the world would love to be godly who, who doesn't but the difference between the Jew and the rest of the world is the rest of the world made that a precondition. When God went around and peddled the Torah to the whole world, he said, listen, if it makes sense to us, if we feel it and we can experience it, then we'll follow the Torah. But if we can't, we can't feel it and we can't experience it, then we're not ready to follow the Torah. Everyone would love to be spiritual. But if I feel spiritual, if I feel loving, then I'll act loving. If I feel spiritual, I'll act spiritual. If I feel godly, I'll act godly. But when I don't feel godly, then I'm, I'm out of here. That's the human response. The Jew was the only nation in the world that said, Nasha, we will do, and then we will listen. Even before we can tune in, and even before we can sense, and even, even if we don't feel godly, and we don't comprehend it, and make, I, I will do. I'm ready to accept. And I'm ready to live my life, live a godly life, even if I don't feel godly. That only the Jew could do. <laughs> um, you know, even when you look at these paragraphs here, it says, even though no dread or fear descends upon him, nevertheless, since he accepts the kingdom of heaven and draws upon himself the fear of him, then he's living a godly life. Well, for example, like when we say the Shema, Right? I mean, that's what this is saying. Don't we, in other words, we have to do it with Kavana. Yes. So don't we feel. If you're lucky. Something, 
if you're lucky, you do. I mean, but, we don't want but, to just go but, through the motions and say absolutely. Shema. But he's reporting the fact. The fact is, even if we say the Shema, no, saying enough, not. saying enough is not saying. Just mouthing the words means it's not enough. You have to have at least the minimum. You have to have an awareness. You have to think about it. If you think about it, that Hashem is my King, and I willingly accept my, I accept Hashem as my sovereign, and I willingly subject myself to Hashem's will, and I'm ready to fulfill his will and to do his mitzvot that's enough you fulfill the mitzvah that's the minimal that's all Hashem asks to you if you can't do more you're not equipped to do more or that particular day you can't do more your mind is not open your heart is not in flames not everyone is so passionate that the heart is always on fire and their mind is so crystal clear we're talking about the average people we're not there are times our mind is crystal clear there are times our heart is on fire it's very rare. Those moments are very rare and few and far in between. Let's be honest. We're human beings of flesh and blood. Especially the business person. The whole day he's engaged in business, he's engaged in the material world. You're not so in tune with godliness. On Shabbat is one thing. When you total immersion in godliness, then you're more in tune with godliness. You can feel it, you can experience it. On a holiday, special occasions in your life, the moment you get married, special moments in your life, when you're standing at the wall, the western wall. But on a daily basis, and it's fine, the Torah says it's fine. It's not, Hashem is speaking to real people. All Hashem asks of you is, have at least the minimal kavana, the minimal awareness, the minimal intent. And the decision, that this is a truth, and I'm going to base my life on this truth. And that's, and that's fine. By doing this, you fulfill the mitzvah, you fulfill your obligation. You're a servant of Hashem, you're serving Hashem, you're accepting His sovereignty. And you know what? Hashem is King. As a result of your acceptance, you have coronated Hashem as King. Of the universe, not just of yourself, of the entire universe. Because of your act of humility, of your act of subjecting yourself to Hashem and willingly accepting Hashem as your sovereign, you have now coronated Hashem. You have fulfilled the purpose of creation. You have... So the fact is that something very momentous has happened, even though you don't feel anything. Something very real has just happened. You have changed the whole universe. You have affected the whole cosmos because of that awareness and that thought and that acceptance in your mind. Even though there's no fireworks. You don't feel any fireworks. But the fact remains that deep down, this is your truth. And the fact remains that you have touched God Himself. You have touched the divine. And you have affected you have coronated Hashem as King of the Holy as a result of your positive work. Then the Torah he studies, or the commandment he performs, because of his submission to the heavenly yoke and because of the fear that he has drawn into his mind, are termed complete service, of the kind that can result only from a fear of Hashem, as the altar reverence soon goes on to say. Like all service performed by servants for his master or king, which is, of course, prompted by fear and awe, all this can be accomplished by arousing, even if only in his mind, at least a minimal level of fear and utilizing it in the study of Torah and the performance of the commandments. On the other hand, if one studies Torah and performs a commandment with love alone in order to cleave to him through the study of his Torah, and the performance of his commandments, then 
This is not termed service of a servant. Whereas the Torah has declared, you shall serve the Lord your God. This verb is cognate with the noun evet, servant, and thus signifies service motivated by the fear and awe of Hashem. It is likewise written, him shall you serve. According to many of the, uh, those who list the 613 mitzvot, in addition to the mitzvah to love Hashem, there's a separate mitzvah to serve him. Like a servant, just like a servant. Whatever is going on in the servant's life, in the servant's mind, he's completely egoless. He puts his ego on the side, and he faithfully serves his master. He's totally present. Whatever I can do, master, I am dedicated to you. Whatever, whatever you need, I am here to serve you. That total dedication, I am here. I'm dedicated. I'm your servant, and you're my master. I'm your subject, you're my king. I'm your soldier, and you're my commander-in-chief. Whatever you need, I'm ready. And he puts his life aside, he puts his, his worries aside and his thoughts. You know, the servant could have a family elsewhere in the world and they have their problems. And When he's serving his master, he's totally present, he's totally dedicated and devoted to his master. That's the mitzvah. It's a separate mitzvah to be dedicated to Hashem, to serve Hashem. I am your servant. To know that I am a servant. And to view yourself as a servant of Hashem. And what an honor it is to be Hashem's servant. What an honor it is. To be Hashem's subject. What an honor it is to be Hashem's loyal and faithful servant and loyal soldier. And Hashem is my king. And Hashem is my commander-in-chief. And that gives a Jew tremendous pride. That's where a Jew gets his pride from. It's not ego. It's not arrogance. It's not me. But the fact that I am Hashem's servant, that Hashem is my king, Hashem is my master, Hashem is my commander-in-chief, and I can be his faithful soldier, what an honor, what a dignity. And you carry yourself with dignity because you are Hashem's servant. The servant of the king is like a king because who? it's not you, it's what you represent. Every Jew represents royalty, represents Hashem because Hashem is our king. Because we treat Hashem as our king. We accept, upon a, we accept Hashem as our king, as our sovereign. And therefore we carry ourselves like a member of Hashem's army carries himself with pride and, and dignity. Because you know who you're serving. You know who you stand for and what you stand for. You're, you're his ambassador. You're his representative. But if you only serve Hashem with love because of spirituality and sensitivity and what, that's not serving Hashem. As a matter of fact, it says there's a very sharp expression. Someone who loves Hashem, he doesn't love Hashem. He loves himself. <laughs> what can God do for me today? Lord, get me high. God, you make me feel so good. I love being in love. It's not about you, it's about me. <laughs> I just love, I love what you do for me. That's love. I love what you do for me. Hear, hear yourself. It's not about the other person, it's about me. People say, I love the ice cream. You don't love the ice cream. If you love the ice cream, you wouldn't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> You love what the ice cream does for me. It's not about the ice cream. It's about you. The love is in me. It's ego, self-expression. So, Lord, get me high. What can you do for me today? I just love being in love with you. It's my heart that sings with joy, sings in ecstasy, sings in ecstasy. You're on an ego trip. What's that have to do with God? When do you get out of your ego? When you serve God. 
the servant, he is, he, he is going beyond his ego. It's not about him. The focus is not me. The focus is Hashem. It's you. I get out of the way. It's not me. I am your loyal servant, your faithful servant. I'm dedicated to you. Whatever your wish, your need, my focus is on you, not on me. That's the difference between service and love. Two different worlds. Difference in respect and love. Love is about me. That's why a marriage is only based on love is doomed. Love is not enough to keep a marriage together. Love will not conquer all, despite all the novels. <laughs> marriage is based on respect. That's the foundation, not love. Love has to be built on the foundation of respect. Respect is unwavering. Respect is, is, is the cornerstone, the bedrock, the foundation. The rock, our rock of Gibraltar doesn't change. It doesn't, it's not moody. It's not, it's not subject to whims and ups and downs. Respect is it's about you. It's not about me. I respect you. I'm focusing on you. I see you as a person, as an individual, as, and I respect you. And I treat you with sacredness. I don't take you for granted. Love is, I love what you do for me. I love to be in love with you. It's all about me. And that can never last. That's not sustainable. It will just consume each other. And then the love will wear out. And then you move on to the next. And that, that's not... The foundation of life is respect. That's the foundation of how we respect each other. Respect comes before respecting parents and respecting Hashem. You respect Hashem, you respect other human beings. Because if you have the ability to get beyond your own ego, to see beyond your own nose, then you can notice other human beings and you can respect other human beings. Show respect. Give them the space. Treat them with, with sanctity. Treat another person and his feelings as sacred. Don't just trample on other people. Trample of other people's feelings and disrespect them and dismiss them. Only someone who doesn't have any respect in his own life, doesn't know the meaning of respect, shows disrespect for other people. But if you know the meaning of respect and you respect Hashem, that person, who has a healthy sense of egolessness, who can get beyond his own ego. That person has the glue, will have what it takes to create solid relationships, solid friendships. That's what a society is based on. Society is based on mutual respect, genuine respect. And, and then you respect your spouse, you respect your children. You don't take anything for granted. And that's sorely lacking today. That's the one ingredient that's almost completely lacking. This is the challenge of our generation. We don't know the meaning of respect. Not respect for ourselves, not respect for our parents, not respect for our spouses, not respect for our children, not respect for other people, not respect for... Ultimately, it all comes from one place. Because we lost, we forgot the meaning of respect for Hashem. The meaning of the privilege and the honor of serving Hashem. The honor of being a soldier in Hashem's army. The honor of being a servant, a subject of having Hashem as my personal king. And every morning we point Hashem as our personal king. Every time we do a mitzvah, we're basically affirming that Hashem is my king. 
what an honor it is that Hashem is my king. And there are 613 ways, privileges that I have of being able to serve Him. See, I mean, every time you use, like, respect and you're using honor and feel proud, where's the fear? Where's the awe? I mean, you know, every time I... See, I'm thinking, maybe I'm wrong, I'm thinking, respect Hashem. So I'm saying to myself, feel awe of Hashem. But you're not using that terminology. But it, it is, because as, as we'll learn soon, the awe and the fear is sensing Hashem's presence. When you respect someone, you're sensing their presence. You're respecting their presence. You're treating them as something real. As he'll say later, He's going to bring the story of Rabbi uh, Yochanan ben Zake and his deathbed. And his students asked him, what's, the, what's your wisdom? What are you, what's your parting wisdom? What's your, after 120 years, give us in, in a nutshell, what's your, the essence, the kernel of wisdom? He says, Alavai, your fear of God should be the same as fear of a human being. He says, Rabbi, this is it? This is your distilled wisdom? Of 120 years, this is, this is yeah, this is halavai, and I'll prove it to you. When a human being is in the room with you, a stranger, a nobody, the biggest shmendri, you behave in a certain way. I'm not going to do something in public that I'm embarrassed of and ashamed of. But when you're pri- when you're private and alone, and <laughs> we behave differently. So what does that tell you? What do you mean you're private, you're alone? Hashem is here. Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. So what does it mean? That you have more respect. This, this, this shmendrik standing, this stranger you don't know anything about, is more real to you than Hashem. It means Hashem is so insignificant in your life. It's so little of a reality. It's so much of nothing in your life. It's such an abstraction like a crystal energy, otherworldly in heaven. It's so irrelevant and so meaningless in real life to you that a real human being, a flesh and blood that's standing here, a stranger you know nothing about, you're more afraid of him, ashamed and embarrassed and afraid of him than you are of Hashem. So what's respect? Respect means when you feel Hashem's reality, Hashem's presence. You treat Hashem's reality as reality. His presence is real. That's the ultimate respect, that's the ultimate awe, that's the ultimate fear, that's the ultimate truth. That keeps you grounded. It's not just about me. It's about really getting out of the way and sensing the other. Sensing Hashem's presence. Sensing the other person's presence. And treating that as sacred. Don't take it for granted. Treating it as a privilege, as an honor. You know, the fact that your spouse is married to you, it's an honor. The fact that they chose you and the fact that they are willing to live with you and to marry you and open their lives to you, that's nothing, that's never, you can never take that for granted. You always have to treat that with respect. It's sacred ground. You're walking on sacred ground. That's where the Torah says for 12 days in the month you can't, you can't touch each other. You don't take each other for granted. You don't own your spouse. You don't just grab and take and do whatever you want. There's a healthy respect for the other person, for the sanctity of their space, for the sanctity of their being. There's a healthy boundary. There's a healthy sense of, of, of reality, a healthy sense of respect. 
And that permeates everything in Judaism. This is really the foundation of everything in Judaism. It all boils down to this respect. And this is the, the, the thread. That's what he says. It's the, he started out the chapter. This is the foundation, and this is the main thing, and this is the root of everything a Jew does. Because what nourishes everything a Jew does is nourished with this healthy, it's permeated with a healthy sense of respect, of, of boundaries, of, of egolessness, of getting beyond yourself and sensing Hashem's presence. And that's something that never changes. And that's really the unifying force within the Jewish people. It's like a foundation. It's very subtle. You don't see it. It's not overt. It doesn't make a lot of noise. Love makes a lot of noise. Love is like a mountain. It grows. It's passionate. It's fiery. There are fireworks. Respect is very quiet. It's, like a, it's buried. It's the foundation. It's the roots. You don't see a foundation. You don't see the roots. But this is the root. This is the foundation. This is what it's all about. And this is the common ground. This is how the unifier between the Jewish people. Because when it comes to love, as he said in the introduction in Tanya, there are no two loves that are alike. No two Jews love Hashem equally. We all have different personality, different character. We all approach Hashem differently. We all have our own gateway to Hashem, our own personal, individual, customized gateway to Hashem. But what unifies us? It's our respect for Hashem. Our dedication to Hashem. The fact that I am a soldier, from the Rebbe, from Moses, to the simplest Jew, they share this in common. Their egolessness. That it's not me, it's you. The fact that we sense Hashem, not me. Because if you sense yourself, love is self-expression. Self-expression, every one of us is a different self. There are no two people that are alike. We say in the, in the declaration that all men are created equal. No, we're as unequal as it gets. What do we share? What do you mean all men are created equal? Whereas there's, there's nothing in the world that we're equal in. No two people look alike. Even twins don't look alike. What do you mean all men are created equal? Before God. When you're standing before God, then all men are created equal. Because the greatest tzaddik and the greatest rebbe and the greatest genius to the simplest tailor and water carrier, their dedication to God, that they're all equal. That it's not about ego. It's not about me. I'm completely devoted to Hashem. Hashem is my king. My selflessness, my... Focusing not on me, but on Hashem, and that we all share in common. That dedication, that devotion, that egolessness, that foundation, that we all share in common. That's the unifier amongst all Jews. That's why Jews are united. Because we have this quality of egolessness. We have this quality of being completely dedicated and devoted to Hashem. To something greater than ourselves. It's not all about self-expression. It's not all about, Lord, get me high. It's not all about, God, what can, what can you do for me today? It's not all about, wow, it feels so good to be in love with you, God. No. It's not about me, myself, and I. It's about getting beyond your eye, getting beyond your ego, forgetting about yourself, being respectful, sensing Hashem as my sovereign, as my king, and I am his servant, and devoting and dedicating myself to Hashem. And in that, we're all equal, the greatest to the smallest. And now he brings the, the, the Zohar. You want to continue, Rabbi? the last paragraph on page 588. As explained in the Zohar, just like the ox on which one first places a yoke in order to make itself useful to the world, so too must the human being first of all submit to the yoke of the kingdom of heaven and only then engage in divine service. And if this submission is not found in him, holiness cannot rest with him. With his Zohar, he's clarifying the point that he's making in this chapter. 
that it's not enough for a person in general to have a sense of fear, a sense of awe of God, a sense of humility before God. Because that's obvious. If a person has no humility in his life, if a person is completely arrogant and egotistical, then of course you have no connection to the divine, you have no connection to God. In other words, if a person only fulfills the positive mitzvah, because they make me feel good, I love being spiritual, I love doing mitzvah, but you don't fulfill the 365 prohibitions, it's, it's, it's not interesting, it's not as exciting. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in checking my ego, I'm not interested in checking my urges, my instincts. You know, God, I'll serve you when I feel like it and it makes me feel good. I'm there for you. If not, I'm out of there. Obviously, such a person has no connection to the divine. That goes without saying. The Zohar is adding something much deeper. What the Zohar is saying is, and that's why the Zohar uses the analogy of the axe. The axe, in order for the axe, in order for us to benefit from the axe, the axe needs a yoke. It's only when the axe has a yoke that the axe will plow the field and will benefit, will derive much benefit from the axe. So what the Zohar is saying is that accepting upon ourselves the yoke of heaven is a necessary condition not only to avoid the prohibitions, but just like in the, in the analogy, the axe is plowing. He's doing something positive. When the axe is doing something positive, when we're doing a mitzvah, the 248 mitzvah, which have to be motivated by love. So the Zohar is saying love is not enough. In order to derive benefit from this experience, in order for us to get the axe to plow the land, the axe needs a yoke. So in order for us to do the mitzvah properly, the motivation of the mitzvah also has to be the yoke of heaven. And if you don't have this motivation, then you have no connection to holiness. You have no connection to Jewishness. You have no connection to godliness. You could be spiritual. You could be flying with the angels. But you have no connection to God. And you have no connection to holiness. And you have zero connection with anything Jewish. This is not new age, feel good. The Zohar is telling us, in order to be truly connected with Hashem, it's not enough that in general a person has a certain humility, a certain sense of egolessness, because obviously God hates arrogance. So, but you would think it's enough for a person to accept upon himself in general, I accept upon himself the yoke of heaven, and therefore I'm going to avoid offending God. I'm going to avoid doing anything that God asked me not to do. Or even the mitzvah, even the positive mitzvah. If I don't do the mitzvah, if I don't put on the tefillin, if I don't eat the matzah and pesah, that's also a violation. I would also be offending God. So I'm going to make sure not to violate the mitzvah by, by a sin of omission, by not doing the mitzvah. But the mitzvah itself, the motivation behind the mitzvah itself will be my love of God. I want to connect with God and I love God and I'm in love with God. And if I want to do the mitzvah in order to connect with God. That's my intention. So the Zohar says, no, it's not enough. That's why the Zohar is giving us the analogy of the axe. That even the positive aspect, the fact that the axe is, is plowing the field, in order for us to benefit from the axe, the axe must have a yoke. And if there's no yoke, you're not going to get anything done. Nothing will be accomplished. The axe will not plow, and nothing will grow from this field. So too, in order for us to benefit, in order for us to be connected with the divine, when your Jew does a mitzvah and is doing something positive, an act of, of uh, is doing the mitzvah, the motivation has to be because of the yoke of heaven. It's not enough that I'm doing it. 
because I love God. That also has to be part of our motivation. I love God, and I'm in love with God, and I love being in love with God, and I'm connected with God, and I feel spiritual, and I'm sensitive. All of that is positive, but it's not enough. The foundation and the root must be motivated with a sense of a yoke. I'm doing this because I am God's servant. I am his loyal soldier, his loyal subject. And it's my honor and it's my privilege to be able to fulfill his wish and to serve him. So that must be an essential ingredient in doing the mitzvah. And if not, the Zohar says, nothing will grow from this land. Nothing productive will come of this endeavor. Just like the axe. If you don't put a yoke on the axe, nothing productive will result. If a Jew doesn't have the sense of a yoke of heaven, and it doesn't permeate all 613 mitzvahs, even the positive act of doing the mitzvah, if it's not motivated by a healthy sense of respect and awe and a sense of, of service, nothing productive will come of this endeavor. This mitzvah will not generate godliness. Now, of course, we already learned earlier, we already learned in the last few chapters in great length, that when a Jew does a mitzvah, any mitzvah. The mitzvah is godly. The mitzvah is divine. So of course something godly happens every time you do a mitzvah. Whether you have intent or you don't have intent. Or even worse, if you have a negative intent. Let's say you're motivated by ego. You're doing the mitzvah because of self-aggrandizement. You're motivated by, by ego. Nevertheless, the mitzvah is still holy. The mitzvah is divine. The mitzvah has a life of its own. But nevertheless, as he explained in the last previous chapters, the godly aspect is completely in, in exile. The godly aspect is completely hidden. You don't sense the divine. It's a, a completely exile. It's covered up. It's like taking God and bringing him in the dungeon. You have God. You brought God into this world. Every time you do a mitzvah, you do a good deed, you bring Hashem into this world. But instead of bringing him into a palace, into a beautiful illuminated palace, you locked him up in a dungeon. And he's suffering. And he's in pain. He's in anguish. In a dark, cold, dark dungeon. So yes, you've done something divine. You brought the divine into this world. Every time a Jew does a mitzvah, but you've locked God into a dungeon. God is suffering. But you want to invite God into a palace. You want God to feel welcome and to feel at home. And for that, you must do the mitzvah lishma, with a proper intent. So he's saying, in order to bring godliness in a conscious level, that you should be able to sense the divinity of the mitzvah. You should be able to sense the holiness, to bring holiness into the world, to bring light into the world, instead of bringing darkness into the world. Because you could do a mitzvah and just bring darkness into the world. But by doing a mitzvah and bringing light into the world, illuminating the darkness of this world, that you must have a proper intent. And the, the ingredient, the key ingredient, the key intent must be the yoke of heaven. I am a soldier, I am a subject. I'm a loyal, faithful servant, and it's my honor to be able to count Hashem as my king, to be able to serve Hashem by doing the mitzvah, putting on tefillin and lighting, and, and, and wearing the talis in all 613. And rabbinic mitzvah. And that's the point he's trying to make here, and the Zohar clinches it. This analogy of the Zohar really clinches the whole point that he's making in this chapter, the revolution of what he's trying to tell us. Now, this is this awareness although it appears to be a minimal level of awareness, the slightest, the pinhole, just piercing through our egos, just, just the smallest, slightest humility and humbling yourself before God. But this pinhole is really the key to everything. It's the gateway to everything that follows.
foundation, it's the root, it's the source, it's everything. And it has to permeate everything that we do. And that's what we say in every blessing, as he said earlier, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech. You have to do the mitzvah because Hashem is my king. And if that factor is missing, as the Zohar says, there is no holiness. No conscious level of, no conscious sense of holiness. Nothing productive will come of this endeavor. You're only going to increase. You're only going to bring darkness and trap the divine in, in, in a dungeon, in a dark dungeon. You know, the Rebbe would tell all the Bar Mitzvah boys to study this chapter, the opening of this chapter, at least, to study it by heart, to commit it to memory, to etch it into their brain, because this is, this is really the whole foundation of a Jew's life. If you get this, if you get this, if you live by this, you're set for life. <laughs> and if you miss this point, then you're, you're, just, you're just lost. And it's no wonder why we have a lost generation. Completely lost, wandering. Can't figure out why the relationships are not working out, why nothing is working. Because you can't go through life if you don't have, if you don't get this, if you don't understand the meaning of respect, if you don't understand this fundamental idea, this foundation, this, this bedrock, <laughs> this cornerstone of life. You're missing the key ingredient, you're missing a foundation. You can't build on quicksand. Then everything you're building is quicksand. You wonder why nothing lasts, nothing endures. Everything is so wishy washy. That's why the Jewish people have endured for 3,800 years. Because we lived by this principle. Nasa v'nishma. We will do, and then we will, we will listen. On top of page 589. And in Raya now, page 111b, it is written that every man must, in his divine service, belong to two categories and levels. Namely, the category of a servant who serves his master out of fear, and the category of a son who serves his father out of love. And although one may find a son who is also a servant, it is impossible to attain this degree without the prerequisite of a higher level of fear and all known as Yira Ila, as is known to be initiated. A person needs both. You have to be a servant of Hashem, and you also have to be a son of Hashem. Like we learned, the bird needs two wings in order to fly. You can't fly with one wing. You need love, which is the son-parent relationship. Hashem is our father, and we are his children. And it's, it's a loving relationship. It's a gentle relationship. And then you have being a servant of Hashem. And you need both. You can't have one without the other. Hashem is our master and Hashem is our father. There's love and there's awe. And you need both. Because again, love is more about me. And that's very important. Because Hashem has to touch you. Has to engage you. Your personality. If Hashem does not engage you, if you don't love Hashem, that means Hashem isn't engaging you. Then Hashem is just suppressing you. Hashem has to fully engage your individuality, your personality. 
So if you don't love Hashem, if you don't identify with Hashem, and you don't love Hashem, and you don't feel attracted to Hashem, and you don't feel anything godly, then it's an essential thing. You have to love Hashem. You have to tune in to godliness. That's, 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 you have to fine-tune yourself until you feel a personal, individual connection with Hashem. That's where the pleasure That's where the pleasure, and that's where the love, and that's an essential. And that's your unique individual. Every Jew is different. Every Jew has to develop a personal relationship with Hashem. That's the whole foundation of the Tanya. Every Jew has to develop a personal relationship with Hashem. It's not enough just to do the mitzvah. We're not like, it's not like a cookie cutter. We all do the same thing. Yes, we're all doing the same thing. But the way it touches you, the way it inspires you, the way it moves you, the way it affects you is so different because we're all so different. We think differently. We experience differently. It's different backgrounds. We process information differently. It's alive. Judaism has to be alive, vibrant, dynamic. And if, it do, if you don't love, that means it's not alive. It means you're dead. If there's no pleasure and there's no love and there's no feeling and there's no attraction, then it's lifeless. It's soulless. You're a robot. You're not a soldier. You're a robot. Hashem doesn't need robots. Hashem is real. So you have to be alive. The pleasure has to be dynamic. It has to be passionate. It has to fully engage you. But that's not enough. That's one wing. You also need, but without being a servant, it's also not enough. Because love is all about me. If it's only love, it's not about God. Spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. Lord, get me high. What can, what can God do for me today? That's not, it's, not about, it's not about God, it's about me. I'm self-serving. It's self-serving. A real relationship is not about me. The me generation. It's not about me. Enough already. Stop. It's not just about me. Look beyond your own nose. There's a world out there. There's other people. Capital Y in America. Capital Y. What's the, right, what's the most used word? word? The telephone companies did a survey most used word in the English language in all the phone conversations was the word I. That's the difference between the soul and soil. Soil is S-O-I. If there's I, you reduce the soil. If you, add, if you substitute the I for you, then you have soul. Instead of I, there's another person out there. This is you. Don't be so self-focused and self-centered and navel-gazing and it's all about me, myself, and I until ad nauseum and genukshen and afterai. There's another human being beside you. You're not the only one in this world. There's a God in this world. There's, there's another person in this world. Notice your spouse. Notice your children. And there's other people besides you. Your parents. There's a whole world out there. So it becomes sickening if a person is only about spirituality love and, but there's no sense of awe no sense of respect and no sense of service service awe is about the other person not about me when you're when you're aware what are you aware of when you love you're aware of yourself your feelings your attraction your feelings when you're in awe you don't feel yourself it's not about you you're aware of the other person's presence and then you're in awe when you're you're aware of a great person's presence you're in awe because you forget about yourself. It's not about me. I feel the other person's presence. That's the meaning of awe. The focus is not on me. The focus is on the other person. So a person needs both. 
Otherwise, it's like one wing. A bird can't fly with one wing. You need both. So the Zohar says that Jew has to feel like a child to Hashem. Hashem is my father. And we have a loving relationship. And I can pour my heart, heart out to my father. And I know that he's there for me and he loves me and I love him. And it, it's, But then there also has to be a sense of awe. Oh, a sense of presence of Hashem's service. That's why in the same blessing, we switch Baruch Atah Hashem. We're talking to God directly. Bless are you, Hashem. Elokeinu, who is our God, who is the King of the universe. How do you switch from one person, first person, to third person? Here I'm talking to God, like I'm talking to you, and all of a sudden I'm, I start talking about you in front of you. I'm talking to you directly. Baruch Atah, God, you're here, you're, I'm blessing you. And then I start talking about God in the third person, who happens to be... What do you mean, why you're talking to me? Why, why are you switching to third person in the middle of a conversation? The structure of the blessing. Because a Jew has, on one hand, God is my father, and I can talk to him directly, heart to heart, face to face. But I never forget that God is my king. There's a healthy sense of distance, of respect. God is transcendent. God is beyond me. There's a healthy sense of, rea- of reality. And that keeps me grounded. A person who has no fear, a person who has no sense of egolessness, a sense of service, a sense of the awe of Hashem, the distance of Hashem, how the grandeur of Hashem, the majesty and the royalty of Hashem, if you don't have that sense, then you're, it, that's what keeps you grounded. That's what keeps you honest. That's what keeps you down to earth and real. That space that you create that space that distance that space that's what keeps you straight and honest so a Jew needs both you need both and they work hand in hand one enhances the other you feel love and you feel awe instead of being a contradiction for the Jew they only enhance each other and strengthen each other and one it appears to be a paradox two opposites how could you fear or and love at the same time. It's like being Republican and Democrat at the same time. <laughs> How can you be liberal and conservative at the same time? Or and, and love at the same time. But for a Jew, it goes hand in hand. Yes, it's paradoxical, but we are a paradoxical people. And it's only then that the bird can fly. When you have these two opposites together, these balance, this healthy balance. It's like when you breathe, you breathe in and you breathe out. It's only the combination of the two that keeps you alive. So it's, yes, it's, ba- it's back and forth. It's a constant back and forth. You love, and then you, you step back. I'm talking to God directly, and then you step back in awe, which leads you to a, a, a more intense love. Now I feel even closer to God. And then you step back again. A healthy sense of awe and respect. And it's constant back and forth. That's the whole dynamic of a Jew's life. Take Shabbos. Shabbos, we come close to God. We feel like a child. We're praying. That's different. When a Jew prays, you feel like a child talking to his father. Shabbos, we, the prayers are so long. The Shabbos, we feel so close to Hashem. And then we step back. Six days a week, we step back. We have a mission to accomplish. We're soldiers. We're Hashem's ambassadors. We have, we have to fulfill the mitzvah. So it, it's this constant back and forth. This is the whole dynamic of a Jew's life. A servant and a child, simultaneously, together, complementing each other. And, and this is what keeps us alive. This is what keeps us fresh. It's constant 
two and four, back and forth, these two wings. And together, that balances us and that keeps us, that helps us soar and that keeps us going forward. This is the secret. So you need both. Now he says, even though there's a son who's also like a servant, but this is a very high level. This is, we're talking about a son, as he, he discussed earlier in chapter 10, a son who's so selfless that he'll do anything for his father. I'm just here to please my father. It's not about me. There's no ego. That's a rare, that's a rare son. That's a rare type of love. That's a love that's only on the highest level. As we learn there, the complete tzaddik, the perfect Jew, the highest Jew, the one in that generation who has a complete selfless love, our Father in Heaven. It's not about me. It's about Hashem. That love is also, that a child is also a servant because that love is not an egotistical love. The other love is really ego. Even the incomplete tzaddik. It's about me. I want to be close to Hashem. I want to be spiritual. It fulfills me. It satisfies me. It fulfills a very deep need inside of me. I need to feel spiritual. I feel good about being spiritual. It feels wholesome. It feels great. I feel connected. I feel I'm, I'm connected to a different dimension of reality. I'm in tune with a different dimension of reality. It's satisfying. It's fulfilling. So even though you're being spiritual, you're not being materialistic, your life is not about money, power, fame. It's all about love and being kind and being selfless and being spiritual and being sensitive. It's all beautiful. But ultimately, at the root, it's still the ultimate ego trip. It's about me. It fulfills a need that I have. It fulfills a hunger that I have to be close to God. So that's why it needs a balance. You need the bend, the, but then you also have to be a servant faithful servant who's completely selflessly dedicated and devoted to my master it's not about me and that's what keeps me honest and that's what, that's what gives me the balance but the complete tzaddik his love is a different quality love it's a different category of a love his love is not about ego it's not fulfilling my need and my deep urge and my deep spiritual need and hunger and yearning it's about what can I do for my father I'll give my life for my father whatever my father wants I'm here Whatever he needs. It's not about me, it's about him. That's a love where the love itself is like fear. There's no ego here. It's, it, it's one and the same. But that's very rare. To reach that, first you have to reach the highest level of, of awe. And then you can reach that level of love. But for the average person, it's two separate things. The feeling of like a child to a parent and the feeling of a servant to a master are like two separate, two separate experiences. It's clear from all the above that even if one loves God that lacks fear of Him, his spiritual labels will not be of the kind that the Torah calls Avodah, divine service. Should he fail in his attempts at awakening the fear of God in his heart, we should at least arouse a feeling of fear and awe in his mind. But what if one who finds it impossible to arouse even a feeling of intellectual awe, though? Yet already, he now go on 
to say that since this individual too meditates upon the above mentioned concepts and furthermore is intent during the study of Torah and the performance of mitzvah is to serve God. These activities are therefore also deemed to constitute a completely valid form of service. Furthermore, even in the case of an individual who even in his mind and thought fear no fear of shame. It means an individual who is not moved by his contemplation of God uniquely destroying his kingdom and for him, and furthermore, is not moved by the consideration that God is scrutinizing him to see if he is serving him as it is. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe there's someone in Australia, but obviously I think we all recognize ourselves in this individual. It doesn't move us. Yes, we may know of it and be aware of it, that uh, God really is looking into our eyes and standing right in front of us and cares. And without him, without us, God is not a king. And the fact that he, he doesn't care about the whole universe, he just cares about us. And yet we're not moved. It doesn't shame us. It doesn't inspire us. So what? I still feel like doing whatever I feel like doing, and I'm not interested. I don't want to change my behavior. I don't want to check, my, check myself and limit myself and discipline myself as a result of this awareness. Okay? And now he's going to explain why, why we're not moved by this thought. It should move us. It should inspire us. And yet we're not moved and we're not inspired. Why? On the top of 590. On account of the limited grade of his soul originating in the lower degrees of the ten sifrota, asiyah, the soul of this individual derives from asiyah, the lowest of the four worlds. Moreover, within the world itself, it originates from the lowest degree of the ten sifrota of that standard. Since his soul stems from such a lowly level, he finds it impossible to reveal within himself a sensitivity to godliness, to experience even an intellectual fear of God. Like we learned in chapter 2 that the, the, the origin of all the souls come from the supernal, the Jewish soul come from the supernal wisdom of God. But just like the child who develops, originates from the sperm, and then the sperm develops over nine months in the mother's womb, into the heart, into the brain, to the liver, and all the way down to the toenail. And they hear. It's all part of the person. So the same origin, the same point, the same source, suddenly works its way down and differentiates itself into all 248 limbs and 365 uh, veins. Now, so too the Jewish souls, even though we all have the same root and the same source, but you can't compare the generation of Moses, the generation that left Egypt, the generation of the prophets, the generation of the rabbis, the Talmudic rabbis, the generation of Maimonides and Rashi, the generation of uh, the Arizal, the generation of the Bashemtev, our generation. We are like, in the human organism, we are like the souls of the feet, which is called the angel of death in the body because it's the least sensitive. We don't feel anything. There's hardly any, any nerve endings in the, all the way in the bottom. The souls of the feet, we don't feel anything. So we don't respond. So we are souls. We are like the midgets, the spiritual midgets. We are the souls who are, who are 
like at the end of the spectrum, the lowest level. Therefore, we don't respond. The heart responds to emotions. The soles of the feet don't respond to emotions. So we don't get emotionally excited about God. We, 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 we're not, we're not the, brain. the soles of the feet are not the brain, so therefore we don't respond to intellectual concepts. So the intellectual concept of God doesn't fire us up, doesn't fire our imagination, doesn't excite us. It doesn't mean anything to us. We don't even relate to it. It's so remote to us. It's so abstract. It's so otherworldly. It's so not a reality in our conscious lives that even if we're aware of it, it makes no dent. We're not ashamed, we're not embarrassed, and we don't feel anything, and we don't respond. So it's not, it's really, it's not even our fault. So, could you just refresh what uh, Asiya... Asiya is action. There are four worlds. The world of emanation. Then there's the world of creation, which is the world of intellect. The world of emanation is the divine world. Then you have the world of creation, which is the world of intellect, the world of formation, the, the world of emotions. And you have the world of action. Action. Physical, material, tangible. That's the only thing we respond to. Like a child only responds to things they can touch. So it's saying the lower degrees of the ten spheres. Ten spheres, because every soul is rooted in godliness. Everything comes from godliness. But it's the way godliness um, descends and encloses itself and expresses itself in the lowest level, which is the level of the world of Asiya, of the world of action. So... When God expresses himself, the ten spherot are the divine spherot, the divine energy. But you have God expressing so himself in every each world, of each of these worlds. Okay. So you have God expressing himself in the world of emanation. You have God expressing himself in the world of intellect. You have God expressing himself in the world of emotion. Then you have God expressing himself in the world of action, which, which is the void of emotions, the void of intellect, the void of, the divinity, of, of any sense of the divine. It's just tangible action. And the soul of this individual is rooted in this world. And therefore, he doesn't respond to emotions. That's what I don't understand, because uh, the spherot is uh, chesed and gavura. And, yes, and they are, they I mean, are that's not. That's love. That's right. not uh, devoid, devoid of intellect. Absolutely. But it's saying here the lower degrees. But, the, but, the, but the world, the, the divine, I mean, the, the ten spherot have expressed themselves and create the world of action a world where the, the upper worlds are completely hidden and concealed. So therefore we don't respond to emotions, we don't respond to in- intellect. We just respond to action, to deed, to something tangible. That's our reality. We don't respond to anything else. That's why the soul that's rooted, that, that's revealed and that's rooted and that, that's processed through the world of action, yes, we have a godly spark. Everyone has a godly spark because, because of the ten spirit. But this godly spark is completely hidden and concealed within us. On a conscious level, all we respond to is physical and material. So therefore, this soul, due to no fault of its own, doesn't have the capacity, doesn't have, it's not equipped, doesn't really respond For to example, emotions. Like with the, the Omer, right? right? And right. how we're refining our soul. Our, right. Uh, our an, animal soul. Our animal soul. Animal soul. Okay, so... That's different. Isn't... That, that, that's, that's you're refining your ego, you're refining your animal soul. Of course, you have all okay. of these attributes. Here he's talking about the godly. We don't respond to godliness. Oh. The godly soul is completely hidden. The godly soul is completely covered up. And we don't respond. There were generations oh. that were passionate Jews. They were on fire. How many shuls you walk in today and the, 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 the worshippers are on fire? I mean, you walk, there, was, there were generations. You walked into shul, your heart would melt. Uh, they were on fire. 
you can touch them and you would burn up because they were you saw it in the face the face was red they were inflamed with a passionate love to God you had generations that had minds their minds were crystal clear were so sharp they had such a clear deep penetrating understanding of godliness they responded to it they were thrilled by it they were excited by it they responded to it we, we can hear the best information and it's like huh? yeah? what? when? It's like, it's like it means nothing to us like, it, it's like it like just goes right over our head we don't respond to it it doesn't mean anything to us we don't get excited about it you know if, if another generation they'll, they'll, they'll be jumping from joy but we don't respond and due to no fault of our own we're just, we're just we are the lowest souls we are the spiritual myths of all the generations we're not equipped we just don't have the tools we just it's not, it's not only we don't get excited about godliness we don't get excited about anything <laughs> it's not like we're passionate you know we're passionate people and we have such sweeping emotions and such deep emotions it's just not that way we're just a very action-oriented generation and action and tangible and that's what we relate to we don't relate to depth and to spirituality and to emotions on the whole of course you always have exceptions but on the whole this is, this is the thrust of our generation we're just the we're called the, the souls of the souls of the feet we're the souls of the soul we're the spiritual midgets we don't respond so we can be aware of this even if we think about it and even if we know of it and we know that the entire universe rests on my shoulders and if we don't accept God as our king then the whole cosmos it affects the whole cosmos it affects God himself God Almighty himself is not king I'm like Adam and that God it's not the angels that God cares about it's us and me myself and I and that if I do the mitzvah how, how and God is standing right in front of me and watching me and please accept me as your king and and, and, and how, how much he matters to him and how much he cares about us and how much a, how, what a difference we can make we can affect the whole universe single-handedly and it, we, and it doesn't mean anything to us so what? so what's this Jew to do? that's what Al-Tarebi is going to address nevertheless since he is intent in his service to serve the king this is unequivocally a complete service for fear and service are counted as two commandments of the total of 613, and they do not exclude each other. Thus, although this individual fails to fulfill the command of fearing God, for fear must be felt in one's heart and at the very least in one's mind, he is nevertheless able to fulfill the precept of divine service by studying Torah and performing the commandments with the intention that he is thereby serving God, his king. So he's saying it's two separate mitzvot. According to some, not according to Maimonides, but according to others, the mitzvah of fear of God and the mitzvah of, of serving God are considered two separate of the 613 mitzvahs. So even though you don't fulfill the mitzvah of awe, unless you feel it in your heart, or at least you feel it in your mind. Here, you don't even feel it in your mind. It leaves you completely nonplussed. But all you are is you're aware of it. You're thinking about it. And based on that, you're going ahead and doing the Torah and doing the mitzvah, serving God, actually serving God. That's enough. Because I'm a servant. You know, a servant doesn't have to have, doesn't have to feel, doesn't have to understand. As long as you do. You're a servant. You know that you're a servant. You accept upon yourself to be a servant. And you're a faithful servant, and that's, and that's okay, and that's fine. 
And now the, now the Alter Rebbe is going to add that in addition, the truth is, you also do fulfill the mitzvah of fear. Not only do you fulfill the mitzvah of serving God, but even if you don't have an emotional sense of awe, and even if you don't even have an intellectual sense of awe, but you just have a thought, just a mere thought, that God is present, and therefore um, I'm going to behave accordingly, not only to fulfill the mitzvah of serving God, but you actually fulfill the mitzvah of being in awe of God as well. And that's what he's going to say now. Right? You wanted to ask something? Ben? Well, I wanted to uh, ask about uh, the Omer again and Shavuos, right? So after we've accomplished the Omer at Shavuos, so we're feeling tremendous joy and closeness to God. But are you saying that this is really a closeness to the animal soul? And all the more so if we were feeling godly, think of the extent of the joy that we would be feeling if we could touch the godly soul. In other words, on Shavuos, we're just touching the animal soul, right? You know, we, we, we learned earlier that even the complete tzaddik, the highest tzaddik, the one or two in every generation, the perfect Jew, the most spiritual, the most accomplished, even his feelings for Hashem, his sense of awe of Hashem, his sense of love of Hashem, his sense of ecstasy, is almost a caricature of the level of love and awe and pleasure that the soul experienced before the soul entered into this world. Because just the fact that the soul enters into the body and it becomes a human being, flesh and blood, the soul is limited. And even the most refined body and the holiest body and the body of a tzaddik, every waking moment and his whole conscious and subconscious is completely sublimated before God and unified with God, it's still limited. There's no way he can even come close, can even approach the intensity and the depth. It's almost like a cartoon. It's like taking a three-dimensional person and projecting it on a, on a surface, on a flat surface, in a two-dimensional reality. But you end up as a cartoon. So the level that the soul experiences in this world, even the most intense and the deepest and the most profound is a cartoon it's almost a caricature of, of the, the intensity and the depth of the, what the soul experienced in heaven this is the complete tzaddik imagine the rest of us we're not even on the level of the incomplete tzaddik halavai we should be on the level of the benedict the question is what level of Russia so imagine even when we do feel inspired and on Shavuos and, I mean the level of emotion in comparison to a higher level, in comparison to the way it's felt in the world, of, in, the, in the dimension of the world of formation, or the way it's experienced in the dimension of the world of creation, or the way it's experienced in the, in the, in the dimension in the world of, of emanation, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's not a genuine, you can't even call it a genuine emotion in comparison to, to a higher level. So, so all we can have in, in this world is the pentelegate. I mean, in terms of what the godly soul is. Well, actually, we, we have, what we have in this world is more precious than what we have in heaven. Because even though we don't have the love, and we don't have, but we have the mitzvah. In heaven, they don't have mitzvah. We have Hashem himself. We have the divine essence. We have Shavuos. That's why we get excited about Shavuos. We have the gift of the Torah, the fact that Hashem delivered himself to us. The fact that what he's saying in this chapter, Hashem is our king. So we're making contact with Hashem. 
Why does the Zohar say, and this really gets to the heart of what the Zohar, why does the Zohar say, why is it really a key ingredient? That in order for a Jew to serve Hashem properly, the, you must have a sense and, and your intent must be, an emo, you must be motivated by the fact that you're God's servant and we're serving Hashem. Why is that a key ingredient? Why isn't the love enough? The answer is because there's such a huge gap between us and God. Even the love of the world of emanation is so distant from God. It's so far from God. God is transcendent. God transcends the whole framework of the whole universe, even the framework of the world of emanation. So so there's an unbridgeable gap between us and God. And a million and a billion and a zillion is not one iota closer to God than one. So no matter how intensely spiritual you are, no matter how, how loving you are, no matter what higher level of consciousness you experience, what level of ecstasy you feel, how sublime, you're not one iota closer to God. So how do you bridge that gap between us and God? And the answer is you don't. You can't. No human being, no angel, no, it's impossible. So how do you connect with God? We don't. God connects with us. The fact that God is our king, God is begging us and saying, please do my mitzvah. You can do something for me. You can do me a favor and do my mitzvah. Please willingly accept me as your king. Willingly accept upon yourself to be my subject. This is what gives God infinite pleasure. The fact that he commands us and we listen. The fact that we accept him and we make him as king, we coronate him as king. So this idea that God is our king is the only thing that connects us to holiness. Otherwise, you're lost in, in, you're lost in outer space. Yes, you can be spiritual, and you can be new age, and you can be flying high, and you can be meditating on a mountaintop, and you can be Buddha himself, but you have no connection to God. Zero. The only way you can connect with God is acknowledging that God is my king. And that I can do something for God. And I can do His commandment. That's the connection. The, the root of the word mitzvah comes from the word connection. By follow, following Hashem's commandment and accepting upon myself as, as, that God is my king, that's how you're able to connect with God. And that's why a Jew gets excited about the giving of the Torah and Shavuos. That's why a Jew gets so excited about mitzvah. That's why it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to serve God. Because a Jew has a healthy sense of respect for the distance, the unbridgeable distance between us and God, which no, nothing spiritual can possibly bridge that distance. Nothing. No experience, no spiritual experience, no matter how intense and how earth-shattering and how otherworldly, nothing can possibly even get us one iota closer to God. It's only by doing the mitzvah. Only by doing the mitzvah. And that's why we do the mitzvah, we accept upon ourselves that God is my king. And it's my honor and my privilege to be able to serve God because it's only by serving God that I connect with God. That's for the analogy in the Zohar. If you don't put a yoke on the animal, nothing productive will come out of this endeavor. If a Jew approaches Torah mitzvah as a new age, oh, it makes me feel good, it's so wonderful, it's so loving. But there's no sense of a healthy sense of respect, a healthy sense of the distance between us and God. That God is my master, God is my king, and God is so beyond us and beyond all of us and beyond the whole universe and the whole frame of reference in the universe, including the world of emanation. 
And the only way to connect with God, God gave us the biggest honor and the biggest privilege and He respected us by telling us that He needs us. And we can do His mitzvot. And by doing His mitzvot, we connect with Him. So if a Jew doesn't have this as his motivation, if that's not the reason you're doing the positive mitzvot, not only the prohibitions, but if you don't do the positive mitzvot out of a sense that God is my king and I am his servant, there's no holiness. There's no connection to the divine. This is the whole point. Is the mitzvah the same as a yoke? Well, you can do the mitzvah on, without any intention. Like, like most of us do mitzvah. Without any thought, without any intention, going through the road, just doing it mechanically, that's not doing anything. Or even worse, you do the mitzvah because of egotistical reasons. Here he's saying there has to be the minimal. The minimal has to be at least the thought. You have to think about it. I'm doing the mitzvah because I'm accepting upon myself uh, God's sovereignty. And if you do, if you have that thought, then you have a connection to God. Then you have a conscious connection to God. Then you made that needle hole. But this is the entire, this is the root and the source that nourishes and the main thing. This is really what makes the whole connection. It's the fact that God is my king. The healthy sense of respect. The healthy sense of distance. The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of Golas, of exile, and we will be the first generation of Geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas once and for all? Well, Mashiach himself gave the secret away in his famous encounter with the Baal Shem Tev. He tells the Baal Shem Tev that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem Tev by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbe's sacrificed themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebbe's, published over 6,000 Tanyas, literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through LessonsInTanya.com, Tanya in depth is available and accessible 24-6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non-Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure to study the Tanya, we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world. Please help turn the wish of Mashiach, the dream of the Alter Rebbe, and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality. On behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. And a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now when we'll learn Tanya from the Alter Rebbe himself.
Thank you.